Hello, I'm Xavier and I'm going to read the Bible for us today. Our Bible reading is from Ezekiel chapter 43 verses 1 to 11. You can follow along with the church Bibles from the back table in your own Bibles or on the screen behind. Then the man brought me to the gate facing east and I saw the glory of the God of Israel coming from the east. His voice was like the roar of rushing waters and the land was radiant with his glory. The vision I saw was like the vision I had seen when he came to destroy the city, and like the visions I had seen by the Kibar River, and I fell face down. The glory of the Lord entered the temple through the gate facing east. Then the Spirit lifted me up, brought me into the inner court, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. While the man was standing beside me, I heard someone speaking to me from inside the temple. He said, Son of man, this is the place of my throne, and the place for the soles of my feet. This is where I will live among the Israelites forever. The people of Israel will never again defile my holy name, neither they nor their kings, by their prostitution and the funeral offerings for their kings at their death. When they place their threshold next to my threshold and their doorposts beside my doorpost, with only a wall between me and them, they defiled my holy name by their detestable practices. So I destroyed them in my anger. Now let them put away from me their prostitution and the funeral offerings for their kings, and I will live among them forever. Son of man, describe the temple to the people of Israel, that they may be ashamed of their sins. Let them consider its perfection, and if they are ashamed of all they have done, make known to them the design of the temple its arrangement, its exits and entrances, its whole design and all its regulations and laws. Write these down before them so that they may be faithful to its design, follow all its regulations. Good morning, everyone. My name is Scott. I'm uh, one of the pastors here at Trinity Church Paraka. Great to be with you this morning. Uh, in a moment, to start off with, we're going to watch a little film clip uh, on the screen. Before we do that, I just want to let you know, uh, Nate's going to tell you about this a bit more. He's going to give you all the details, but I want to say, be here next week. We're going to have a fantastic Sunday. Uh, it's going to have an international flavour. got a guest speaker coming. Mark Peterson from the Church Missionary Society will be here. Uh, we'll think about where uh, Global Mission is up to. We'll think about the role that we can play as a church. And afterwards, they're going to have a fantastic international lunch as well. So do come. It's going to be a great time to hang together. Um, but for now, take a, take a look at the screen and, um, and have a look at this film clip. This marriage is ending. My marriage is not ending. Just on hiatus. To put his family back together, Daniel Hillard needed a job. Do you have any special skills? I do voices. Yeah! Nancy and I are still looking for the other half of my head. Look at me right now, Manipane. Want to undo that bow and get to know you. Mr. Hillard, do you consider yourself humorous? I used to. And a decent home for his kids. How do you like it? Can't you just tell Mom you're sorry? But he found a way... I'm placing an ad for a housekeeper. Housekeeper? Could you make me a woman? To have both. Wow. Let's pray. No. You for deny it, don't fire. Papa's got a brand new bed.
he's still the same old dad. Only better. Dinner is served, madam. Wow. I'd love to get reacquainted. Can't you see the lust in that man's eyes? Action's a little kind of muddled there. Really? Well, so's your time. <laughs> the terrorists, they ran that way. It was a run by fruiting. This holiday season. Surprise. Robin Williams. Mm. Sally Field. Who needs a husband when I've got you? In a Chris Columbus film. Back off! Mrs. Doubtfire. God, it's hot in here. A father's work. <laughs> is never done. Oh, oh. First, here's a woman. I'm getting hot flashes. That's uh, the trail to Mrs. Doubtfire. Uh, who's seen the movie? Yeah, nearly everyone. Okay, great. It's a classic from my childhood. You probably, even if you've never seen it, you got the premise of the story there from the, the trailer. Robin Williams and Sally Field, they split up. She gets custody of the kids, uh, but he still really wants to be around his kids and see them. Uh, he sees that his ex-wife is looking for a nanny, a housekeeper, and so he dresses up as a woman. He becomes the housekeeper, and all sorts of fun shenanigans follow after that. Now, I remember very clearly the first time I watched this movie, because it was a significant moment for me. This was the first movie I can remember watching that had a sad ending. Spoiler alert here, friends. The parents do not end up back together. So here's me, eight years old or so. It's going to be an enjoyable movie, but right at the end, it, it, kind of, it feels like a letdown, and we finish watching, and I'm feeling sad, and I turn to my sister, who's a couple of years older to me, and I tell her, oh, I just I wish it had a happy ending. And my sister, she musters up all the empathy she can manage, and she says, oh, well, Scott, that's life. <laughs> and she wanders off to do something, and my little heart was broken, and I've never been the same again. Um, it's a funny movie, this one, Mrs. Doubtfire. Funny movie, but I remember it as a sad movie because of the way it ended. And it shows you, doesn't it, endings are important. Because endings, well, they change the way you can remember the whole thing. And today here we come to the end of Ezekiel. Uh, at church we've been going through this book in the Bible called Ezekiel. It's written by a guy called Ezekiel. He's a prophet. Uh, he's a Jewish guy, but he was living for most of his life in the land of Babylon because the Jews by this stage, just about all of them, had been taken off and exiled in Babylon. Now, for the first about two-thirds of this book, his prophecy, Ezekiel, it's all about judgment. But as we've come then to the back end, we've seen some hope. God has promised to restore things. And he's promised to protect his people, even from the most fearsome threat they could imagine. I really felt like you could nearly end the book there at the end of last week. But Ezekiel goes on. And so today we come to the final chunk. Chapters 40 to 48, which is all about this vision that Ezekiel has of God's plans of restoration for what's ahead. But in fact, this is not just speaking to the Jews back then. This is for us too now. What will our ending be like? And how does that change everything for us, even about how we live now? So today, here's what we're going to do. We're just going to go through an overview of the chapters and see what was in the chapters. Then we're going to ask, what is this all pointing us towards before we finish by thinking about what it means for us today? 
That's, that's where we're headed for today. Okay, so firstly then, what do the chapters say? Well, uh, all of this starts when Ezekiel gets a vision in chapter 40. And in this vision, remember, he's in the land of Babylon, but in the vision, Ezekiel is taken from the land of Babylon back to the land of Judah, and there he meets an angelic creature. So look at chapter 40, verse 2 with me. In visions of God, he took me to the land of Israel and set me on a very high mountain, on whose south side were some buildings that looked like a city. He took me there, and I saw a man whose appearance was like bronze. He was standing in the gateway with a linen cord and a measuring rod in his hand. So Ezekiel is taken back, and he sees Jerusalem, the capital city of Israel. But it's not the old Jerusalem. This is a new Jerusalem. The old Jerusalem had been ransacked and burned by the Babylonians 14 years before Ezekiel had this vision. Everything had been destroyed, even the temple. But in this vision, Ezekiel sees a new city, and the key to it is a new temple. And this really is in chapters 40, all the way through 40 to 42. If you've been following your reading guides, you would have read it this week, right? The angelic creature takes Ezekiel around and he measures out all the different parts of this new temple. And it's so precise. Just take a look for a moment. Um, I'll read from chapter 40, verse 6. Uh, it says, then, then he went to the east gate. This is, this is Ezekiel talking about the angelic creature. Then he went to the east gate. He climbed its steps and measured the thresholds of the gate. It was one rod deep. The alcoves for the guards were run one rod long and one rod wide, and the projecting walls between the alcoves were five cubits thick. And the threshold of the gate next to the portico facing the, portico facing the temple was one rod deep, and on and on and on it goes. And can we just have a moment of honesty here, friends? Are you a little bit bored as you read that? All these measurements and, and preciseness, and all this detail, it's not the most thrilling read, is it? But actually, if you are an ancient Jew... This is anything but boring. I mean, think about it from their point of view for a moment. Um, their temple, the special place where they worshipped God, it had been destroyed along with the rest of their city. So what does that mean for their relationship with God now? What does that mean for their nation now? But here they get the vision and it's restored, rebuilt. A, a temple that is better than ever. And then angelic creature takes Ezekiel on a tour through the whole temple. They starve on the outside. They go inside. They see all the bits. They go back out again. And you get a picture of a very, very grand building. Like this is, this is, for the ancient, this is in the ancient world, it's a huge structure. And for the Jews, this is exciting to hear. Here is our temple back. It's a party time. But you can't, you can't help but notice that 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 this temple, it dominates the city, right? If you were part of the city, you could pretty much see this from anywhere. It's huge. So in chapter 42, we see that the four walls going around the temple are each 500 cubits long. That's over 260 meters. We're talking about like four footy fields placed next to each other. It's huge, which makes one thing very clear for them, isn't it? What's at the center of this new city? What's the big thing for the people that live here? It's God, isn't it? His temple dominates the landscape of the city, just like he is supposed to dominate their lives. Which, of course, means there's something in that for us too, right? I mean, what dominates our lives? For you, what's at the center of life? What's the big thing that gets your energy, 
your time? Where does your money go towards? What gets you at your best? But here in Ezekiel, we're reminded of the place that God is to have for us. Him at the center. Everything in life taking a back seat to God. The, the, the landscape of our lives clearly showing that God is the one who dominates what we are on about. That's chapter 40 to 42. And then at the start of chapter 43, we see the Lord, God himself. Now, God could never be kept in a house, in a temple. God is far too big for that. We know that, right? But in a special way, God lived with his Old Testament people, the Jews. He lived side by side with them in the temple. But throughout Ezekiel, we've seen some odd things, some different things. So back in chapter 1, God showed up in Babylon. He was God not in the temple, but he's gone to the place of exile. It's a very strange thing. And then in chapter 10, we saw God, but he was leaving the temple. His people had abandoned him through their actions, so God left them. And yet now here in chapter 43, God returns to his temple. This is the passage that Xavier just read out for us. This is a significant moment. Like As good as it is that the temple is rebuilt, that's great, but here's the better thing. Now God's come back to live there with his people. Can you imagine the confidence that, that would give the ancient Jews as they look forward to their future? God with them again, once more. Doesn't that give you confidence in life? As Christine prayed, God goes before us and with us. But of course, if God was to live with them again, they needed to treat him properly. So in chapter 43 to 46, we get a whole bunch of regulations that these ancient Jews needed to follow. So at the end of chapter 43, that we see the, the altar is restored. This is a place where people make their sacrifices. In chapter 44, we hear about the Levites and the priests. They're, they're, these are people that are set aside to serve at the temple. In chapter 45 and 46, we hear about special offerings and holy days that they're to observe. And all of this highlights to them that the God they are living with is no normal God. In fact, he's holy. He's not ordinary. He's a holy God. He's unlike anything else. And so you don't just treat him however you please. You don't just treat him like anything else. You treat him in the way that he tells you to. Again, there's something in that for us too, isn't it? Yeah. God is not the, the old friend that we have that we can walk down the road, slap him on the back and have a good old joke. God, God he's God. He's, he's holy. He's different. He, he, he's not an ordinary thing in life. And so we ought not treat him like he is. We need to approach him in the way he tells us to. Yes, friends, approach God with confidence. Because of Jesus, absolutely. But we also need to have respect for God, a reverence for him, humility before him. For he's not an ordinary thing in life, but he's God. Back, back to the chapters. Next thing we see then, we see a river. In chapter 47, this river flows out of the temple. And it starts 
shallow, it gets deeper and deeper, but wherever it goes, this river brings life. So in verse 7, there's trees that spring up all around the river. In verse 8, the river flows into the Dead Sea. Now, the Dead Sea, you might know this, the Dead Sea is known for being very salty. Right? It's, it's 10 times more saltier than the regular ocean. It's so salty that fish don't really live in there. It's so salty that if you get in there, you can basically just float around like it's not even water. But it's a salty place. But when the river flows into the Dead Sea, it it turns it into fresh water. And so fish start to live there and and they multiply. And in fact, there's so many fish there that the fishermen come down and they make a living off off the fish from there. it's, It's a place full of life. In verse 12, there's stacks of fruit trees and they bear fruit, not just once or twice a year, but each month they bear fruit and it's used for food and it's used for medicine. You see, it's a life-giving river. Uh, you might have heard of Christopher Hitchens. Christopher Hitchens is a, is a remarkable guy. He's a, he's, he's a journalist and author, very famous man, uh, very popular public speaker, very influential guy, a very remarkable man. Um, you might know one of his more famous books called God is Not Great. And if you're not sure what the book is about, his subtitle kind of gives it away, How Religion Poisons Everything. I think that's an idea that's becoming a little more common these days. That God actually is not good for people, that religion poisons things. That what's the problem with our world today? Well, at least one of them is God. It's religion. But it's pretty clear, friends, that Ezekiel, he wants to say something different, right? God comes into the temple, and what's the effect? Life flows out from him. Good things happen. It's completely the opposite to what what Hitchens is arguing. God brings good. I wonder, as as you reflect on your life, can you see the, the good that God has brought for you? And then the final part, we get to Ezekiel chapter 47 and 48 and talks about the land. Just really briefly here. The second part of chapter 47, Ezekiel is told the boundaries of the land. This is where the reunited, reunited Israelite community will live. And then in chapters uh, 48, we get the divisions of the land where each of the 12 tribes will live within those boundaries. And, and that's really chapters 40 to 48. If you step back, it's a, a moving picture here. Ezekiel is ending on a very high note. We've got the, the temple and God returning, the priests doing their job, the river, the land. It's a, it's a wonderful picture, friends, of God's people living in the land, being blessed by God, and actually living with God himself. In many ways, Ezekiel is the complete opposite to Mrs. Doubtfire. Mrs. Doubtfire was a funny movie that had a sad ending. Ezekiel is a tough read at times. There's there's a lot of judgment through it. But the ending is good beyond belief. But is that all it is? Is it just a happy ending for the sake of it? Why is the vision here? Well, take a look back at chapter 43. This is the last bit that Xavier read for us. Ezekiel chapter 43, verse 10 and 11. Have a look here. It says, this is God talking to Ezekiel. He calls him son of man. He says, son of man, 
describe the temple to the people of Israel, that they may be ashamed of their sins. Let them consider its perfections. And if they're ashamed of all they've done, make known to them the design of the temple, its arrangements, its exits, its entrances, its whole design and all its regulations and laws. Write these down before them so they may be faithful to its design and follow all its regulations. There's, there's two reasons, really, for this vision. Firstly, so that people would be ashamed of their sin. Seeing, seeing this great plan ought to make the people ashamed for what they've done in the past and desire, have a new desire not to go back there. But secondly, as the people see this, they see its design, the way it's laid out, it's supposed to bring them a sense of excitement about what God will do. Remember here, the Jews are in exile now. They're away from the land. They are under God's judgment. But here they're seeing a future of what God has planned for them. The high point. The high point of all this is actually not all the trappings that come along with it, but the high point is that they are living with God again. That's what makes this so good. It's life with God. In fact, all through the Bible, this is the highest thing that people can imagine or dream of or attain to. It's, it's being with, it's living with God. You see it again and again through the Bible. And, and so now look actually how Ezekiel ends the whole book. Chapter 48, the, the, the city is rebuilt. Uh, all God's people are there. And what does verse 35 say? The last thing we hear from Ezekiel is this. And the name of the city from that time on will be, the Lord is there. The Lord is there because that is really the thing to be excited about. That God is with them. The Lord is there. And this all points us towards Jesus. In many ways, this ending to Ezekiel is a big signpost getting people ready for the coming of Jesus. Because in Jesus, these promises are fulfilled. Think about it for a moment. Who is Jesus? He is God living with us. He's greater than any temple. See, when Jesus walked on the earth, the Lord really was here. So you get to a passage like John chapter 1, verse 14, and it says this, the word, the word who was eternally there in the past, the word who is God, that word, Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. He pitched his tent to live here with us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is God with us. Of course, we don't see Jesus walking amongst us today, do we? But he hasn't left us alone. If you're a believer, God has said he has put his Holy Spirit in you. God now with you. So as you walk around, you're not alone, but God is literally with you. He's in you, which is, this is great. This is good stuff, right? But it's not everything, is it? Yes, it is excellent and good and wonderful that God's Spirit lives within us. But don't you long for something more? For something more tangible? Don't you want to see God face to face? You do, right? 
to really live side by side with him. Which is what God promises us in heaven, in the, the new creation. See, the ending of Ezekiel is there to excite God's people, to get us looking forward to what it will be like when we live with God. And in the New Testament, that, that, that sense of excitement keeps building. So think about the way that Jesus talks about heaven. In John 14, it, it's, it's like a great mansion with many rooms. In Matthew 22 and 25, heaven is like a, a wedding feast. It's all laid out for you. I love this one, Matthew 25. It describes heaven as it's, it's like sharing in our master's happiness. Isn't that beautiful? Or Luke 14, it's like going to a great banquet, a, a spread put on that's just uh, and wonderful. And there's plenty more too if you keep going through the New Testament. But even just from these things, you realize like, this is the place to be. Right? This is the party you don't want to miss out on. And then we come to a place like the book of Revelation and we, we, we hear more. This is, the, the new creation is coming and, and it's going to be great. It's a place with no more tears or death or mourning or crying or pain. All this kind of stuff is gone. There's no impurity there anymore. There's no evil. This is a place where the thirst can come and have water in abundance. This is a place where the tree of life is and it keeps bearing fruit. And this fruit brings healing to the nations. And, and again, it sounds so good, right? This is the place to be. But even that is not the best thing. The best thing is, is this. Revelation 21 verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. He'll dwell with them. They'll be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. Or again, Revelation 22 verse 3. There'll no longer be any curse the throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. They will see his face. Isn't that what we long for? To see our God and to be with him forever. So let me end with two words, two brief words of encouragement then. Firstly, friends, Beware of spending this life overly invested in the here and now. Remember, be convinced the things of this earth are passing away. And so make the decisions of how you live your life with that in mind. Can I just give you one kind of example of what that might look like? Just, just one. Working hard at your job is a good thing. In fact, the Bible commands us to do that. So don't stop. But remember that the things of this earth are disappearing. So if you're a parent, don't overly invest in your job. Overly invest instead in your children. Invest in them and in their faith that they might join you in God's new creation. Be overly invested 
in the things that will last. Second thing, be excited about this future that God has planned for you. Now, this can be hard to do because we can't see the new creation. We, we can't see heaven, right? And that's the way we work. You know, how do marketers make you want to go on a holiday to Fiji? They show you the photos. There's the sun. There's the beaches. There's the food. There's the people with all the smiles. And we don't have a photo or a video from God. What we have is his word, though. So, friends, I wanted to encourage you. It's worth taking some time to dwell on those parts of the Bible that tell us what's to come. Not just passing over them quickly, whether they be parables or just these great visions of heaven from Revelation or other parts. Don't just pass over them quickly. Dwell on what God tells you about your future. And then remind yourself constantly, this earth is temporary. My real home is heaven. And I'll live there with God forever. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you and praise you for your good word to us. And we ask now, just for two things. We realize, Father, that these can be difficult. We need your help desperately in them. So please, help us be overly invested, not in the things that will disappear, but in the things that will have eternal consequences. And Father, please grow in us an excitement for what you have planned for us, that we would value and treasure this. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.